The reading comes from Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29, just two short verses. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. As we turn in our Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 9, I want to ask you a question. Uh, how many of you have ever been to a grand opening before? Uh, I'm sure more than just a handful. Uh, a grand opening of anything. Um, could have been a, a coffee shop or a restaurant, uh, maybe the unveiling of a, a building or something like that. Uh, if, you, if you've never been before, grand openings are a lot of fun. Uh, you just imagine a, a huge party that's dedicated exclusively to the opening of this brand new store. There's a feeling of anticipation and excitement whenever there's a grand opening, a, a ribbon cutting ceremony, uh, anything like that. Again, maybe there's a new restaurant or a new coffee shop that's opening up around the corner, and you've probably seen it. Uh, you, in your drive or walk by, you may know that the building was under construction. There was probably paper covering the windows, signs up that said, coming soon. Uh, and, and all of that starts to build in your imagination this sense of anticipation. You wonder, what's this place going to be like? Is it going to be any good? Is it going to be a place where maybe I, I do a lot of work, or maybe invite friends or family to, or maybe it's just a place for me to relax? Is this place going to become a home away from home? And then as the big day comes nearer, then all sorts of tempting offers start to trickle into your inbox or into your, into your mail. Things like, uh, be first in line and get free sandwiches for a year or free burritos all day long, or the first 100 customers get a $25 gift card. There's going to be giveaways every single hour, and you realize you really don't want to miss this. You make sure that you put it on your calendar. You wake up early that morning. You drive there, and you're already wondering, did you wake up a little too late? <laughs> Is there going to be a line wrapped around the building, and all those free offers have now escaped your grasp? And then when you arrive, you see the site that you've been waiting for for a long time. The doors are open, and you get to come in and enjoy the party. It's time to celebrate because they are open for business. Businesses go out of their way to make these events special because they want to increase their reach. They, they want to invite you so that you invite your friends. And a good grand opening celebration is going to generate widespread and lasting interest. And I want you to remember that as we read Leviticus chapter 9 this morning, because Leviticus chapter 9 is the same thing. God in our text this morning is saying that the tabernacle is now open for worship. It's the grand opening of a new era, a new way of experiencing and communing with God. And the purpose of this text is to invite you into it. It's an, a grand invitation. As you are invited into it, then the text also then thinks that you might invite your friends to be involved. Leviticus chapter 9 creates widespread, lasting impact on all of God's people throughout the generations. 
Uh, now, before I read it, I, I just kind of want to own that on the surface, Leviticus chapter 9 might not feel like an engaging read. There are a lot of uh, technical, gory, and familiar details, things about fats and entrails and the long lobe of the liver. We're going to hear about that again. Uh, and so you might be tempted to tune out. Here's how you can hear the text well this morning. Just imagine that you're watching this take place for the very first time as an Israelite. And put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites who are gathered here for this ceremony this morning. On the one hand, as a faithful Israelite, it has been hammered into your head and heart that a sinful people cannot go near a holy God. But on the other hand, you've seen the tabernacle under construction. You've watched as all of these golden things were being brought together. You've seen it taking place. You watched the ordination of the priests. It's like there's a big coming soon sign in the midst of Israel. And so now all of a sudden there's all sorts of anticipation. You begin to wonder as the big day draws near, what's going to happen? This is going to be a place where I can enjoy the Lord. What is going to happen? And then the grand opening happens. The big day has finally arrived, and we're going to read about that in our text. The big day, opening ceremonies for worship. And still there are questions as the Israelites are gathered this morning. The Israelites are going to be wondering what is going to happen in front of us. What are we about to witness? Will my worship have any real effect? Will these sacrifices have any real effect? Will our lives be changed? Again, every single Israelite standing before the tabernacle is wondering all these things. And these are questions that we ask too. I think many of us, most of us, on random Sundays ask when we're coming to church, what's going to happen? Is this going to be a place where I can find welcome, where I can enjoy God? Will my worship have any real effect on my life? Will our lives be changed? And so pay attention to how Leviticus answers their questions, because as Leviticus answers their questions, it also answers ours too. Every ounce of blood in this text has a point. And it's inviting you to listen in with anticipation and inspire you as you seek the Lord's presence, even this morning. And so with that in mind, I invite you to turn your full attention to the Lord, that we would attend to him with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our strength. Please hear now God's holy word, Leviticus chapter 9. On the eighth day... Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. 
And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offerings of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar beside, besides the burnt offering of the morning. And then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing portrait of worship, and we ask that you would do your work in us. It inspires us. It makes us long to experience you like this, and I pray that even now we would get a taste of this, that we would get a taste of your presence. Speak to us through your word. Instruct us. Teach us how to seek you in the faith that as we seek you rightly, you will be found. Please bless us in the light of your presence this morning, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it's hard to imagine a more grand opening than this. What an amazing experience the people witnessed as they gathered in the presence of the Lord, witnessing the glory of the Lord go out into their presence, into their midst. But Leviticus 9 isn't just for them. And in fact, this was written immediately after this worship service, and so it carries a lasting effect forward. It is an inspiration to all of God's people who would want to encounter God like this. I think Leviticus chapter 9 evokes in our hearts a longing. We want that 
We want to experience God like that. And so it's relevant for our day and age. Uh, We want God's presence. We want this, but we're not always sure how to get it. There are lots of mixed messages in our culture about what worship is. And so it's easy to feel pulled in many different directions as we seek connection with the Lord. And so this passage teaches us. It helps shape us as we seek God, beginning with preparation. Uh, Preparation. In verses 1 through 5, the people prepared for God's presence. Now, this wasn't something that they just rolled out of bed for that morning like the, uh, the stereotypical 8.30 a.m. college class. Uh, this was more like a wedding. And with a wedding, a ceremony like that, you do not want to show up unprepared. Think of that scene at the beginning of The Incredibles. Uh, Mr. Incredible is dashing around, solving all kinds of problems. And what's he saying after every single one of them? You remember He says, I've still got time. He sees a problem happen in front of him. I've still got time. Well, time for what? As as the, the film plays out, we find out it's time to fight crime before his wedding. He's doing all of these things before his wedding takes place. Instead of getting ready, he's doing all kinds of other things. And once we, the audience, discover that, we, we kind of want to shake him by the shoulders and say, don't do that. You don't want to show up to your wedding unprepared. And of course, he's late. And in that moment, we, again, wonder as the audience, is he really prioritizing this new relationship? You have to be ready for grand occasions like this. And so God says in our text, be prepared. Be prepared by appreciating your sin. Listen to verses two and three. God's opening words to the people, this great invitation to come forward, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And then verse three, And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering. That is quite the summons. God is saying, be prepared. Come here to the tabernacle in order to deal with your sin. All of those preparations revealed their deep Sinfulness. Just imagine it. You would be seeing a a lineup full of animals. You would hear the animals. They would be bleeding or mooing as you gather them all together. And you all gathered in that presence would feel a sense of sadness. You all knew that these animals were there and that they were going to die because of your sin. Uh, This highlighted, it really hammered home the reality of sin, especially for the priests. Remember, the priests have just gone through seven days of ordination ceremonies, seven days of ritual sacrifices that were going to make them holy, and the first thing that God says to them is that they still have more sin to deal with. They have yet another sacrifice to make for their sin. And God is not asking for mere doctrinal consent. God is not saying, be prepared for a quiz on the doctrine of human sin. No, God gets specific. He points to personal, personal, particular sins in the people. Be prepared by understanding your 
personal sin. Verse two, take for yourself, Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf. That's a sacrifice that's pointing to something else. The only other time that that specific Hebrew word calf is used in the entire five books, first five books of the Bible is when Aaron made the golden calf. And so now using that very same word, Aaron is told to bring a calf, bring a calf for his atonement. It reminded Aaron deeply of his personal sin. So prepare for God's presence by appreciating your sin. But this is no shame fest that we're witnessing right here. God wants us to prepare to receive grace. There's an electricity in the air this morning. There's an anticipation of new beginnings. Verse eight on, or sorry, verse one, on the eighth day. The eighth day is the start of a new week. It's the start of a new era of experiencing God. The assembled animals, all of there, all there represented God's intervention for their sin. He was providing a sacrifice for forgiveness. The people who were gathered there heard an amazing promise in verse four, today the Lord will appear to you. And so then they gather expecting to receive grace. Verse five, they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting And all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. That's astounding. Up until now, the entire exclusive command was stand back. Don't get too close because the presence of the Lord is dangerous. But now the people are invited to draw near. And so that's how they prepared for God's presence. They loaded their hearts and their minds with the awareness of their own sin and the anticipation of receiving God's grace. So how about us? Well, just like them, we need to be prepared. Encountering God takes preparation, whether it's for our daily prayers, our daily readings in the word, or our weekly worship. And just like these Israelites, the preparation that God demands is spiritual, Some people have in their minds that we have to prepare for worship by putting on our Sunday best. But this passage is not about clothes. Leviticus 9 is exclusively about our hearts. And so how should you, how should we prepare ourselves for God's presence? First, appreciate your sin. Whether it's you're gearing up for a Monday morning Bible study or your own evening prayers or you're preparing for Sunday worship, evaluate your heart. Ask God to reveal to you your hidden sins, the dark corners of your heart that you kind of pretend aren't there, that you hope he doesn't notice and you hope that you forget about. Ask God to bring those into the lights. And then, as you ask God to bring those things into the light, anticipate God's grace. His mercies are new every single morning for us, friends. Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week, the eighth day. A new era has dawned, the start of a new opportunity for us to experience and enjoy the presence of God. Jesus' death on the cross was God's once-for-all-time intervention for your sin. It was the sacrifice to accomplish forgiveness. 
You have God's amazing promises. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You, too, can expect grace. In Christ, you can draw near to God. God is not saying to you, stay away this morning. He's inviting you to draw near. And so load your heart with these things as you prepare yourself for God's presence. And that leads to the second part of the story. The next part of our story, in verses 6 through 22, the people enter God's presence. They prepared for God's presence. Now they enter God's presence. And it all starts with obedience. Verse 6, And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. It's just like entering a royal palace. Anytime you enter a royal, regal space in the presence of a king, the only way to enter is by following the king's instructions. And here in our text, all throughout Leviticus, you've heard the instructions of the king. God gave copious commands to allow his people to enter his presence properly, and here the people did them. The people assembled when they were commanded to. Aaron offered the sacrifices just like he was commanded to. The people obeyed, and it's an important lesson for us. The only way to enter God's presence is for us to submit to his will and submit to his ways in obedience. After obedience, we receive from our text repentance and faith. How can we enter God's presence? Repentance and faith. Because our sin is the thing that keeps us from God, we need to deal with our sin in order to become near God. And that's what we see in our text. Verse 8, Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Verse 12, then he killed the burnt offering and Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. Verse 15, then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering. Verse 16, he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. Every single one of these sacrifices involved repentance. In each of these sacrifices, the worshipers would lay their hand on the head of the animal. They would identify with it. They would say, this life for mine. It was an opportunity every single time to mourn your sin and to repent of it. And with repentance is faith. They made these offerings in faith. They trusted that God would receive the sacrifice and would give them grace. Again, this life for mine. God will take this life and spare me from the consequence of my sin. And so obedience, as we see in our text, obedience leads to repentance and faith. And then repentance and faith leads to the giving and receiving of gifts. Once you've been pardoned, you want to give yourself to the king. And that's what the grain offering represented. In verse 17, he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar. The grain offering was the people's pledge. It was their pledge of dedication. They were giving themselves to God in gratitude for his grace. And then once you give yourself to the king in gratitude for his grace, it's understandable. It's actually okay 
to expect or to long for a blessing. You want to experience the king's favor as you give of yourself. And that's what the peace offering represented. Verse 18, he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. The peace offerings were tangible experiences of God's favor as the people shared a meal with the king. And the end result of all of this is blessing. Verse 22, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. So that's how you enter the presence of the king with obedience, with repentance and faith, with gifts to give and gifts that you hope to receive. And so how should we enter God's presence? How should we enter God's presence this morning? Well, the pattern is the same for us. Obedience, repentance, and faith, ready to give and ready to receive. Just remember what we confessed in our confession of faith this morning. We confessed that God requires obedience in our worship. Acceptable worship is done only according to his command. We come according to his terms alone. And I think that's a really controversial thing for us to say when we look around at the the world around us. I remember seeing a photo that someone I know posted online. It was of a Sunday morning, uh, and the the caption said, Day of Rest. But the picture was of a beachside brunch uh, with a, a Coors Banquet beer on the counter. And now that might have been relaxing, but we could stop and say, That's not Sunday worship. That's not Sabbath rest. That is not the way to enter into God's presence. And I'm not making fun of this guy. I I think he was just being honest about something that every single one of us thinks from time to time. Why can't I connect with God on my own terms? Why does it feel like God is so picky? Why can't he just loosen up? Well, think of it like this. Every single one of us, you, me, we all have preferences about how other people enter into our space, right? We have preferences about how other people enter our space. When I was in college for one year, I lived in a house that had two front doors. It had one door that led into the living room, and the other front door of the house led directly into my bedroom. And that door was a curse, Because I was constantly having people walk through my bedroom when they wanted to leave the house or wanted to come in and visit one of my other housemates. So just imagine trying to study and someone uses your room as an entryway or an exit. It wasn't fun at all. I was constantly having to teach people, here's how to enter the house. Use that door. Please don't use this one. And we all have standards like that. We all crave to have our boundaries respected. If I have a gate in my fence, don't climb over the fence to get into my backyard. Come in through the gate. If I have a doorbell on my front door, don't just walk in. Ring the doorbell. If you know I go to bed early, don't text me super late at night. We all feel that. We all want those boundaries to be respected. And it's no less with God. This text is about God, the king of the entire world. Surely he has a right to tell us how to worship. 
Surely he has a right to tell us exactly how to enter into his presence. We can only enter his presence with obedience. And then as obedience, as the text shows us, obedience then leads to repentance and faith. When we come to the king on his terms, we will agree with the king about our sin and we'll trust him for healing. The two go hand in hand. John Murray, the Reformed theologian, puts it like this. Saving faith is permeated with repentance, and repentance is permeated with saving faith. And then when we receive grace through repentance and saving faith, and we want to give ourselves to God, and we want to experience his blessing. And that leads to the third part and final part of this marvelous grand opening. In verses 23 and 24, the people get to enjoy God's presence. They've prepared, they've entered, and now they enjoy. Hear it, this remarkable two verses. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. God's presence brings them delight. Again, just imagine their surprise. After all of this time of being told to stay away, Moses and Aaron go into the tents and they come out alive, celebrating God's grace, blessing the people. For the first time in forever, people, sinful people, have gone before the presence of the Lord and they have thrived. And then the glory of the Lord appears before all the people and none of them die. The glory of the Lord, the blazing, consuming presence of God comes out and consumes the sacrifices, not them. They live to tell the tale. They are delighted at this surprising turn of events and that's why they shout Psalm 35, 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad. God's presence brings delight. And it gave them awe. They have just beheld the presence of God in his glory and his splendor. They've seen his holy power. And they've beheld his wrath against sin. And they were spared from it because God was kind to them. And God was merciful. He was true to his word. And he took the sacrifices on their behalf. And in response to this, they're humbled. They fall down on their faces. They allow their bodies to reflect their spiritual state of humility. As, As Gordon Wenham says, God's greatness and holiness cannot be ignored. He must be acknowledged by our whole being. Nothing less is adequate. God's presence brings us awe. And finally, God's presence gave them hope. It brought hope. If we've seen God once, surely we can see God again. We can hope that these temporary displays of glory are leading us somewhere permanent. That's what the tabernacle was all about, right? 
It was a temporary thing that pointed forward to a more permanent reality, a, a day when God's people everywhere would enjoy God's presence all the time, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. This text speaks a word of hope to all generations of God's people, and God's people need hope because it wasn't always like this. There wasn't always a blaze of glory. The people often experienced tabernacle worship in less dramatic ways. And even beyond that, for the most part, the people weren't always near to the tabernacle. For much of God's uh, salvation history, the people were separated from God's presence because of their sin and their rebellion and their exile. But Leviticus chapter 9 gives hope. If we've seen God once, Surely we can hope to see him again. We can hope for the day when we will see God face to face. God's presence brings delight and awe and hope. And so let me ask you, do you enjoy God's presence? Does worship bring you delight and awe and hope? Of course, that's our prayer every week. Every single week, uh, we, especially in leadership here at Christ Church, pray that you enjoy God. We want you to enjoy God every single day of the week, every waking moment of your life. We want you to enjoy God, and especially on Sundays. Now, that's our prayer, and, and we do most of the time. But every single one of us has moments or seasons where our faith burns low, and, and our connection with the Lord seems strange. We find it more of a struggle than an enjoyment to connect with God. And so let me encourage all of you that Leviticus 9 is teaching you something. There's an encouragement when we look at this grand opening of worship. It's a text for you. Here's how you can enjoy God. Let Leviticus 9 teach us. Here's what Leviticus 9 says. It says, focus on salvation. If you want to enjoy the presence of God, focus on salvation. This is one of the most dramatic displays of redemption in all of the Old Testament. It is amazing. And, and the, the camera lens, if we were to think about it cinematograph, like cinematography, the camera lens of Leviticus 9 is intensely focused on the altar. It's intensely, all of our attention in this text is drawn towards the place of redemption, the place of atonement, and that points us directly to the cross of Christ, the place for the atonement of our sins. In Leviticus 9, we behold a lot of blood on the altar, and again, that causes us to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. And so let me invite you, focus Focus on Christ. Focus your entire being, your whole self, all of your attention, all of your mind, all of your body on Jesus Christ so that you can experience and enjoy the presence of God. In Jesus, we can experience the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's grace. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so when you feel your faith burning low, fix yourself on Jesus. Meditate on his saving grace. Kneel before him. Hold out your hands in prayer as you long for him to deliver you. And with time, he will bring you delight. The fruit of Christ's spirit is love, joy, peace. Jesus Christ will give you a sense of awe. You can just imagine the great truth in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing reality. And then Jesus Christ will bring you hope. You can have hope in Jesus Christ. I know that our Sunday worship feels pretty tame compared to the worship service that we experienced in Leviticus 9. At our best, all of our devotions, all of our prayers, all of our worship offers us only a foretaste of the heavenly glory. Friends, we walk by faith and not by sight in this age. But when Christ comes again, he will bring us near to the Lord in all of his glory. Through Jesus Christ, when he comes again, we will see God face to face. And so if your faith is flagging this morning, or if you're struggling to make sense of how to experience God in a world of mixed messages, then let's go back to this grand opening and find encouragement. If you want to seek God well, prepare. Own your personal sins and anticipate grace. And then enter his presence. Draw near to him with obedience and repentance and faith, eager to give yourself to God and eager to receive his blessing. And when you do that, enjoy. Enjoy God through Christ. Christ, the spotless sacrifice, has died in your place so that you can become children of God. Delight in that truth. Be amazed at his glory and kindness and take hope because the gospel is true. And in Christ, the doors of heaven are open for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this tremendous display of glory and grace all mixed into one. And we thank you that we are no longer told to stay away but draw near. And we long for that. And we hunger for your presence. We are thirsty for you and your goodness. We have a deep spiritual hunger. And we long to be fed. Uh, we long for the day when faith will be made sight and when we can experience more than foretastes of the heavenly kingdom. We long for all of it. And so we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, come again, Jesus. And until then, we pray that you would sustain us in the light of your presence. Help us to enjoy you to experience your grace every day and especially here and especially now as we turn to the table. Feed us now, O oh God, for we are ready and hungry. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.